We are starting a brand new series today called Two Gather. It's going to be a mini three-part series uh, that's going to take us all the way up to Mother's Day. Um, and I'm excited about this, uh, this series because uh, it really talks about why we come together as a church, why even a church exists. You know, there's two kinds of people here today. There are the extroverts and there are the introverts. How many of you, you know that you are an extrovert? Okay, so a few of you. How many of you know you are an introvert? Okay, so this is, for those of you who don't even know what you are, this is a very basic definition of what an extrovert is and what an introvert is. So an extrovert, in the very basic definition, is somebody who gains energy from being with other people. And an introvert is somebody who gains their energy from being alone and on their own. And you may not even believe it this morning, but it's the truth. I am actually an introvert. Some of you think there's no way you are an introvert. But actually, I am an introvert. Do you know why? Because I gain my energy from being by myself, being in those moments of solitude. And when I'm with myself, I find that I am refueling my life and gaining energy. But this is what I've also discovered. I've discovered that even though I gain energy from being by myself at times, I realize that I can't do life alone, that I need others, that community is essential and there's no one in this world who can actually do life alone and in fact you were not even created to do life alone. Why is it that is ingrained in our DNA that we throughout life we seek life partners, right? We seek to be with somebody. So you, you know we as teenagers we want that boyfriend or girlfriend and uh, when we get into our 20s suddenly we start thinking about oh I need to find Finds uh, my husband or my wife for uh, the rest of life, and we get into th- our 30s and we start panicking, and then we get into our 40s and we'll just like pick. Oh, you'll do. Anybody will do. And it's because ingrained with it within us is this thing that we want to be with other people. Why is it that kids, you know, little kids, you 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 see kids that when they're with other kids, they start to play with other kids. It's like they have no problem of being friends with other kids at all. Why is it that when the big game happens that we decide we want to invite everybody over our house or we want to go to somebody else's house for the big game? Yeah, we could stay at home and watch the big game by ourselves, but there is something about being with other people that makes it a little bit more special. And for those of you, you've had life events in life, whether they are marriages or graduation or, you know, you've celebrated a, a, a significant birthday. What do we often do? We invite other people in to celebrate those life events with Uh, within us or with with us. See, we were created to do life in community with other people. In fact, life was not meant for you to live alone. And we see throughout history that mankind has wanted to do life with other people. Adam wanted an Eve. 
And as humanity expanded, we started seeing that families stuck together. We started seeing villages being created, towns and cities and regions and nations were created around people who wanted to do life together with each other. They had the same values and the same dreams and the same desires. And we we see throughout history and we see even in our culture that people often do better when they are in community with each other. And in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9, Solomon, the King Solomon who wrote Ecclesiastes, he said this, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So Solomon is telling us this. He's saying that life together is better than life alone. You can do more with your life when there are others around and you're pulling together than whatever you can do alone. And he says that three are even better than two. Think about some horses for a moment. So horses are incredible creatures. And many people believe that the average draft horse, and a draft horse is those horses that pull carts and pull different things. The average draft horse can pull a dead weight, so a weight that, that, that's like dead and, and stationary, and they start to pull it. They can pull a dead weight of one-tenth of their body weight for eight hours a day. So a war, working horse, one-tenth of its body weight um, for eight hours a day. And the average weight of a draft horse is 1,750 pounds. So I think you can work out 10% of that. If you can't, then you guys need to go back to school. But... If you yoke two horses together, now those two horses working in tandem with each other, not pulling individual loads, but coming together, they can now not pull twice as much, but they can actually pull three times as much weight together as one can do by themselves. Then, as of September 2014, and it may have changed since then, The largest amount of dead weight pulled by two Belgium horses. Those are those big, huge horses. Belgium horses, they normally weigh about 4,800 pounds each. The the largest amount of dead weight pulled by two Belgium horses was over 17,000 pounds that they were able to pull for seven feet. 17,000 pounds. That's a lot of weight. How many of you have got like a big old like Ford truck or something like that? That's like a couple of those that they can actually pull. They pull for seven feet. What does this tell us? This tells us that we can pull a little bit of weight by ourselves. And all of us, we carry the weight of life. We carry the weight uh, of our family or of our job or uh, of our uh, health or our finances. And we pull weight a little bit. 
But when others come alongside us and help pull us together, now we can pull a lot more. That means the weight that we are holding becomes a lot easier when we're doing it together. But when those incredible life moments happen, those disastrous life moments, when the weight of life feels like it's going to crush us, it shows us that if two or three of us come together and we pull as hard as we can for those people, it means that we can pull an incredible amount of weight, meaning that weight of life isn't going to crush us. See, Solomon recognizes, he recognized that you can't do life alone, that life alone is hard. But together, life isn't just possible, but life is much easier. The, the statistics are amazing when two horses pull together. The statistics are off the charts when three horses pull together. See, life together is so much easier than life alone. And we can't do this journey of life alone. We need each other. And without each other, so often the weight of life just overwhelms us. So this week, a friend of mine, she's a middle-aged lady who has had a, a, a lot of health issues. At the age uh, of being a teenager, she was diagnosed with arthritis. Um, In her mid-20s, she had a hip replacement, and it's just gone worse and worse. I call her the bionic woman. She's just got so many surgeries. Well, this week, she was walking, and uh, suddenly, it it sounded like she had squeaky shoes. And we're like, hey, put some WD-40 in your shoes. And actually, it was her hip. Her hip had actually come out of the joint, and so she's walking. It's like, squeak, squeak, squeak. I mean, we're kind of laughing, but it was kind of sad as well. Well, she now is going to have to go and have another hip replacement. Then they found some issues with her blood and her calcium levels, and all these things started piling on top, and she's had a terrible week. So she sent me a message. And she said this, she says, Alex, how do you tend to seem so positive when life gets so hard? How do you stay so positive when life gets so hard? So immediately, without really thinking, I should have really thought about it, but immediately I thought back and I I messaged back and I had a four-letter word and I said, hope. And then I messaged again and I said, hope that tomorrow is going to be better than today. And then I messaged again, I said, hope that this life isn't it, and that when we leave this life, there's going to be a better life to come. And so I was thinking, feeling pretty good about myself. I'm like, it's a good chance to share the gospel with, with somebody, it's a good chance to, to, to really tell them that the gospel of Jesus is all about hope. And I got this message back. It said, Alex, hope to me is just another four-letter word. And I was like, oh man, now what am I going to say? And as I've been thinking about this week, I realized this is what I should have said. I shouldn't have just texted back or messaged back and say, hope. This is what I should have said. I should have said this. I said, because I'm surrounded by a church that encourages me to keep hope. Because that's really what it is. It's hope that helps us go on. But the reason I can stay positive is because I have you guys around me and people around me who are encouraging me to keep hope hope. And so this is why I believe it is so important that we come and gather together as a church. And why church is important and why gathering as a church 
should really be a priority in our lives. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to be discussing about why it's important that we need to gather together in different forms and we need each other. And today we're going to look at why it's important that we gather together on a Sunday morning as we do to worship God together. See, if you don't make church attendance a priority... And coming to church and gathering with others, a priority. I guarantee this. I guarantee that your life will be smothered by the weight of life. And that, in fact, I don't think you will never experience the full life there is in Christ. And here is why. First thing is this. Because when we come together, we create an environment where Jesus shows up. When we come together, we create an environment where Jesus shows up. Did you know that Jesus is here in this place today? Did you know that? Jesus is here in this place today. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, it says that Jesus is the one who walks amongst the candlesticks. The symbol for the candlesticks in Revelation was the church. Jesus is the one who is walking in the church. He isn't the one who's just sitting down, you know, in the chair, just looking at what we're doing. You know, he came, sang a few songs, listened to the sermon. You know, he uh, signed up for something and then left home, you know, took some coffee and a bunch of M&Ms with him. You know, that, that isn't what Jesus is doing here today. Jesus is walking amongst you guys. So as you're sitting here today, he's walking through the rows. The spirit of Jesus is in this place, not just here, but over in the kids' house. The spirit of Jesus is walking amongst us because Jesus is here today. And this church, Generation Church, it exists because of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the purposes of Jesus. And you may think, Alex, what are you talking about How is Jesus here today? Tell me in the Bible where it says Jesus is here today. Well, I will show you. If you turn to Matthew chapter 19, sorry, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18 and verses 19 and 20. These are the actual words of Jesus. And if you want to know what the actual words of Jesus are, if you get a Bible, there's red letters in there. That's the words of Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus said. And this is what it says in Matthew 18, verse 19. It says, I tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Let's just focus on that last verse a moment. It says, where two or three or many more are gathered as my followers, Jesus says, I am there among them. Now let's just look at this for a moment. Do you notice what Jesus said? Jesus didn't say where two or three are gathered, I am there. Where two or three are at the country club, I'm there. Where two or three are lying in a bed. Well, I hope it's only two lying in a bed. I am there. Where, sorry. Where two or three are going shopping, I am there. It doesn't say that. It says, where two or three are gathered as my followers, I am there. 
This is the difference between church and the country club or church and your group of friends. When we come together as Christ followers, the Bible says that Christ is here. So you can go all of the places and try to find the solutions of life. But if you want the solution of life, it is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is in the church. Now, the actual Aramaic that Jesus used when he said this is, can be translated like this. Where two or three are gathered into my name. Into my name. I am there amongst them. So this is what Jesus said. Take the verse beforehand. He says, I tell you, if two or three, or sorry, if two agree here on earth concerning anything you act, my Father in heaven will do it for you. So Jesus is saying, if two people come together in a unified manner, in agreement, and they come together for the purposes of God, then Jesus says that he will go to his Father in heaven and our Father in heaven will do exactly what we ask. The secret here is one word. It's called unity. Unity. And Jesus follows that on, saying that when we are gathered together in a unified purpose, that's as Christ followers, then Jesus is here. We need to gather together as a church in a unified purpose. And then that brings us to a place where we start expecting things that will happen when we gather together. And when we expect things to happen, we are committed to each other and committed that Jesus will show up. And what happens when Jesus shows up? If you read the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you see when Jesus shows up. This is what happens. People are set free. The blind start to see, the deaf start to hear, the mute start to speak, the sick are healed, the possessed are delivered. There is incredible provision that happens. People are set free when Jesus shows up. And the Bible tells us that when we gather together as a church, Jesus shows up. So this is the question I have. So why do we not see People set free when we gather together. I guarantee today across this country, about 99% of the churches that will gather, people will walk into church and they will walk out exactly the same. But Jesus says that when we gather in his name, he shows up. And when Jesus shows up, people are set free. And this is why I think, because we're not gathering together with a unified purpose, expecting Jesus and committed to the purposes of God. So many of us, we've walked into this place today for a couple of reasons. Maybe because we just go to church on Sundays. That's what we do. Maybe it's because, you know, we're just going through a hard time and it's just like, I need to find faith in life. Maybe we've come into this place because, hey, my friends are here. Maybe we've come because you just feel guilty if you don't come to church at all. That is not a unifying purpose why we come together. The reason why we come together is to come and worship the risen Christ, the crucified, risen, ascended, and coming again Christ. That is why we come. See, Sunday morning, it's all about the unified purpose to come and worship Christ together. And when we understand the power in this purpose and the power in our gathering, then Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, people are set free. 
Throughout church history, there's been many times pockets throughout church history where there has been an awakening to Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. Many people have called it revival. And there's been times where where just God has just influenced a city or community or a nation in incredible ways. And if you actually look at the source and, and where the, the, the history of revival, you will see this. You will see it all started not in a large gathering, but when a few people come together in a unified purpose, believing that God is going to do something incredible committed to each other to continue to pray and and be with each other and worship together. And out of that, God has done incredible things. See, when we come together, we create an environment where Jesus shows up. The second thing is this. When we come together, we become a city on a hill. When we come together, we become a city on a hill. While the purpose of gathering on a Sunday morning is to worship Christ, the purpose of the church, this church and every church, is to tell the world about the good news of Jesus Christ, and that is that Jesus Christ saves and he forgives of sins. That is the purpose of every church. In Matthew chapter 5, Verse 14, Jesus taught this. He said, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. He's saying to you believers, you are the light of the world. Why? Because we have Jesus in us. He is the light of the world and because he's in us, we become a light. But then Jesus said this, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Why do you think Jesus used this metaphor, a city on a hilltop? Well, firstly, he didn't say this. He said, you will be individuals who will individually do great things for God. Jesus never said that. He said that you will be a city. What is a city? A city is a place where many people dwell. I don't know if we've got anyone here from like North, North Dakota, but you probably like never saw another person in your whole life until you moved to a city, right? But here we've got lots of cities around us. We've got New York and Philadelphia and we've got Baltimore and and DC and, you know, and then you go to Ocean City in the summer and it's just like crazy. People everywhere. What is a city? A city is a place where people dwell. It's a place where people work and do business. It's a place where, where people visit. It's a place where people live, where people are together. Jesus never told us as a church that we will be the lone range on the prairie but that we will be a city on a hill. And the second thing about a city is this. Everybody sees a city on a hill. How many of you have ever driven up the New Jersey Turnpike on the way to New York City? And you're getting close, you're getting to like exit, like 13, maybe 12, 13. And then suddenly on your right-hand side, you see it. You see the big buildings and you see, you know, now the Freedom Tower and you, you see the city and suddenly you look over and you can't keep your eyes off New York City because you understand stuff is going on there. It's like the greatest city in the world, maybe. Maybe London is, but, <laughs> but you see it. La- last month, 
I was driving up the, the, the Los Angeles National Highway, which goes up through the mountains of Southern California. And we drove up there and our ears were popping because we were going so high. And we stopped over on a lookout, lookout view and, uh, and we stopped, we parked, the, we parked our car and we looked over and in the distance you could see Los Angeles. For all to see, you saw the big buildings, you saw the city. And what is it about a city? You know there is life going on in a city. Think about Bel Air for the moment. When we think about Bel Air, you know, you don't drive up 95, you're like, whoa, there's Bel Air. (laughs) But for the people who live in Bel Air, what, what is the city on the hill for us? Maybe it's Looney's or McGurk's on a Friday night. Maybe it's the mall on a Saturday morning or afternoon, or maybe not, you know? Maybe it's the soccer field or the baseball field on a Saturday or Sunday morning that's filled with parents and kids. What is our city on on a hill? See, Jesus said that we as a church will be a city on a hill. And as Generation Church, our little corner of the world right here, we need to see Generation Church beyond what it is today. And we need to see Generation Church as a city on a hill that shines bright with the light of Jesus. Because the people of Generation Church are shining bright with the Spirit of Jesus. But how will we ever get there If Jesus never shows up here, how will we ever get there if we don't come together in a unified purpose, expecting Jesus committed to one another? Jesus will never show up and we'll never be that city on the hill. But if Jesus does show up and we become that city on the hill, imagine what that will do, not just in Bel Air and Harford County and Baltimore County and Cecil County and the state of Maryland, but people will be free from all the weights of life that is dragging them down, free from their sins. And their guilt and their shame. Why? Because Jesus showed up. When we come together, we become a city on a hill. Last thing this morning I want to mention is this. When we come together, we are encouraged to keep the faith. When we come together, we are encouraged to keep the faith. When my friend texted me and I said hope. And she turned around and she said, hope is just a four letter word. How do you get hope? And I text back, I was like, in the words of George Michael, you just got to keep the faith. Because that's what it is. It's all about faith. If you want hope, you need faith. See, I like being by myself. I like those moments of solitude. One of my favorite things to do is to go up the king and king, king and queen seats up at Rock State Park, just sit there with the vultures and, you know, just get my journal out and just write. I love it. But I've also understood that if I'm by myself too much, life can start to become very dangerous for me. I start to think internally a little too much about stuff. I start to get the wrong perspective about things. I start to get a little paranoid at times about stuff. I start to think the worst of people instead of the best of people. Because I'm by myself. I'm not getting perspective of other people around me when I'm by myself. 
Eventually, when I'm by myself, I start to feel the stress of life upon me. And then I start to have these crazy thoughts like, well, God doesn't even care about me because I've got the stress of life on me. God doesn't even listen to me. And it's all because I'm spending a little bit too much time by myself. Let me tell you this. It's good to be alone at times. Jesus was alone. He went to be with his father many times. But alone time should be the exception, not the rule. Because we were created and wired to be in community with each other. There is a reason why we were made for community. And this is it. We need each other. News alert to you today. You need each other. Did you know that? You need each other. See, when it comes to our faith, There are two forces that are trying to take your faith away from you. The first force is this, yourself. The Bible calls it the flesh. And this is what your flesh tries to do. It tries to rip you away from God. Because faith is all about serving. But your flesh is all about exalting. And this is what you want to do in yourself. You want to exalt yourself. Why is social media so popular? Because we love to talk about ourselves. Right? But faith is all about serving. And so your, your, your self understands that when you're with others and now you're starting to serve. And maybe you're in a church and you're serving in a church. Suddenly you're not exalting. You're not the number one guy. And so your, faith, your flesh tries to take you away. The second force that tries to take you away from your faith is a force that you have no control over. It's an external force, and it's called the devil. Many people don't believe in the devil. Many people don't believe in a hell. Here at Generation Church, we do. We believe there is an external evil force in this world. There was an angel that fell from heaven called Satan. We call it the devil took with him a horde of angels, and they are trying to destroy your faith. In Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us this, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood enemies, but instead against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, and mighty powers in this dark world. That is what is going against you. And I've got news for you today. You have no power against it by yourself. The only person in this world who has power against that evil force that is trying to take away your faith is one man. His name is Jesus Christ. And if we never experience Jesus Christ, We will never be able to defeat the forces of darkness in this world. I guarantee this. If you stop coming to church for about three months. I guarantee you'll start to find life increasingly hard. I guarantee this. Your faith will not be as strong. I guarantee this, that suddenly you will start to have a different perspective of God. Maybe not as big a view as God. Why? Because when we gather together, Jesus shows up. 
When we come together in a unified purpose, expecting Jesus, committed to one another, Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, he, he, he defeats the powers of darkness. He shows us that our self is unworthy in itself, nothing to be exalted. And we serve King Jesus and our lives are set free. I've seen so many people in my life who have fallen away from the faith. It kills me. And this is how it starts every single time. It's not that one day they walk out of church and they're like, whoa, I don't believe in God anymore. Or, whoa, I'm just not going to go to church anymore. This is how it starts. The weight of life starts to overwhelm them. Maybe they change shifts at their job and no longer they can meet with other Christians. Maybe there's some other commitments that they've committed to and no longer they can gather together with other believers. Uh, maybe it's uh, just uh, uh, some, some issue in their family and now they don't want the shame or the pain of telling other people. Maybe it's something that they've done in their lives, a mistake that they have done and they realize that, oh wow, people are just going to talk about me. I don't want to be around other people. And this is what happens. They stop gathering together with other believers. And now no one is encouraging them to keep the faith. And they dwindle away. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 25 tells us this. Let us, meaning us Christians, hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. And that's what we need to do as believers. We need to hold tightly to the hope that there is in Jesus Christ. It says, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us now think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. There's another reason why we should gather together, to motivate one another. And then verse 25 says this. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Do not neglect your meeting together. That's why it's so important that we come on Sundays and we gather to worship. That's why it's so important throughout the week that we meet in small groups and, and different groups and we meet with one another and we pray with one another. We gather with one another. I ask you today, why are you here today? Why are you here today? Why did you walk through these doors today? I tell you the reason why I'm here. Not because I have to be here. Which probably I do have to be here, but... This is why I come this week while I'll be here next week and the week after and the week after and the week after. And we make it a priority in our family that church is a priority. This is why I come. Because in this place, Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, there is freedom. And when there is freedom... Suddenly, there was a light that shines inside of me. And then, when that light shines inside of me, and others around, the light is shining. Suddenly, we become a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. 
And when we become that city on a hill that cannot be hidden, other people start seeing the light of Jesus in and through us. Then those people start running towards the light of Jesus. Then they experience Jesus. And then they experience the freedom of God. And then they experience what it means to be radically changed by the spirit of the living God. And then they start to get a light into them. Then they go out to their friends and their families and their co-workers. And now others start seeing the light in them. And now others start chasing after that light. And then they find freedom from the weight and the sin and the guilt and the shame of this life. And what happens eventually is that our city is changed. That our, our, our state is transformed. And our nation rises from the ashes. All because a couple of people decided to come and gather and worship together. Because they knew that Jesus was going to show up. That is why we gather here on Sunday mornings. And I've got news for you today. Generation Church, I need you. I want you to look to your left and your right. You need each other. You may not like the person sitting next to you, but you need them. You need those people. Because without them, it's going to be very hard to hold tightly to the hope and affirm to the hope that you have in God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I'm going to ask the band to come back.